1: Latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burroughs. That's Todd with one D uh, from PA on Twitter. That's where you can find me. And we're going back and we're going to dig a little deeper into a subject that I did last week with Seth FFL. And that is something that I think if you're an addictive personality and a fan of fantasy football, you are probably doing what I and this next guest. Are doing a lot of which is MFL tens or best ball leagues. I'm very happy to have on the show Mike Beers. You can find him on Twitter at Beerswater. I think that's right, Mike. Hello, how you doing? Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm excited I'm, to dig in.
1: Yeah, me too. I I've, I've wanted to have you on for a while. I noticed that you've Really, kind of taken off uh, in the little community that is the fantasy football so-called experts. Uh, ex- well, some are experts, and, and a lot of us want to be. And you're kind of in the middle at this point. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where you, uh, you know, first of all, I, I, did I get your Twitter handle right?
0: Uh, yes, that's right. Beers, B-E-E-R-S, water, um, and that's it. So how much shit
1: have you taken in your life for your name? Oops, I'm not supposed to curse on this show. But I I just (laughs) had to ask you, I mean, with a name like Beers, like, can you take us through, like, the three stages of getting picked on from that name? Like when you're young, when you're a teenager, and now that you're a little bit older? or, 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 you know, did you just grow up in a different generation than me where no one really picked on you for it?
0: Well, actually, the thing is, um, I wasn't picked on for it. It, it was more of an advantage. Uh, you know, when you're younger, um, in high school or middle school or whatever, everyone thought it was cool, um, you know, and I, um uh, yeah, it, Beers was just my nickname, you know, it wasn't something people uh, made fun of me for, and then it was even uh, more exciting for the guys in the basement of a frat house in college uh, that my name was Beers, so... so-
1: so with a name like uh... with with a name like beers, you know. So do you embrace it and and become a big beer drinker, or you know, do you <laughs> kind of go the other way, or do you just like pretty much anything with an alcohol content?
0: <laughs> well, I'm not a huge drinker, but um, I think uh, I, I think it doesn't have a lot to do with the name. Um, I've just gravitated toward a, you know whatever tastes good.
1: Well, you know, what's interesting is you're a young guy, and you mentioned you have a family. Why don't you take us through a little bit of your life, where you, where you grew up, where you live now, uh, when you got married, kids, that sort of thing, just to give everyone a little bit of taste of what it's like to be uh, Mike.
0: Sure. Um, well, I'm 31 years old, and um, I have been married as of... Tomorrow for seven years to my wife, we have three kids, um, all boys. I have identical twin boys, um, as well as, uh, one who's a a little bit older than the guys. And, you know, I live in Connecticut now. I grew up in Maryland and, um, the past, you know, eight years or so after college, I did, um, I was working in finance, so I was an investment analyst and, um, I worked primarily for a fund of hedge funds, which um, the my job was to research hedge fund managers and decide who were the good ones and who weren't, and hopefully um, invest with the better ones. Um, it was a really interesting job, and there was a lot of you know sort of work with data and analytics and stuff that I've transferred over to the fantasy football world. Um, Do you still work way, in I've,
1: finance? Do you still work in finance? Uh, Uh, Do you have a nine-to-five, or is this kind of your gig now?
0: uh, Well, neither, really. Um, I left my last job in the summer last year, and um, I've been spending my time. I do part-time sort of consulting work um, with um, a a couple of people I've worked with on um, finance-related stuff or or software programming stuff, and I'm spending my time trying to – Figure out um, the you know software programming side of things and transitioning over to tech uh, from finance, so I'm probably leaving finance behind.
1: Gotcha. Well, I don't want to take the show down too much of a rabbit hole, but since you mentioned finance and hedge funds, um, any comments or thoughts on what transpired this week with Preet Bharara uh, getting fired by the uh, administration? Um, Did you have any? you know was 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 were you aware of him when you were in finance and just curious on your a, a quick take on that perhaps
0: um, i guess I, I i don't really have a take on that um you know it wasn't really Uh, something I was keeping tabs on. uh,
1: No worries. No worries. I I just (laughs) thought it was interesting when you mentioned that because I didn't know. All right, so let's get – oh, one last thing. Why don't you tell people where they can find your information and, um, you know, your progress with fantasy football?
0: Sure. Um, A lot of the stuff I do I I just put directly on Twitter. So, again, the the handle is – at Beers Water, um, and in particular, a lot of the sort of visuals and data stuff I put on there, you can find at hashtag charts on charts on darts. Um, I put Kinda up a catchy. lot of, uh, it, uh, well, shockingly, it's a lot of charts. Um, you'll find there if you click on that hashtag. But, Absolutely. Um, and then I've also written a few articles for uh Roto-Viz. So you can find me there, um, you know, I think a handful of articles over the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, I I love roto I think it's the best value in fantasy football. I call it the smart kids table. Um, You know, (laughs) a lot of what is now considered the norm in fantasy football as it relates to analytics, um, what, you know, from what I've heard from Fantasy Douche on his Twitter feed, at one point everyone thought you got—you know—he was just a, a nerd with a bunch of nerds, and and now pretty much everything is accepted. So it's interesting how things, people's minds can change over such a short period of time.
0: Oh yeah, it's a great site, and I love um, you know getting a, a little window into uh, you know being just a part time every once in a while contributor for them. Um, you know, I get access to some very smart people, and um, using their tools is always great. I mean, they've got a great package of tools at rotoviz
1: Yep, it's and it's the best deal in fantasy football. It's thirty dollars for the year for the NFL. Um, do you have a code? Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not. You know, if you have a code, we might as well throw it out there. I recommend the site highly. I wouldn't go into an off season without joining. Um but if anyone's listening, do you have a code from one of your things? Maybe you could get a little something uh having someone sign up? <laughs>
0: uh so we don't have referral codes, but um if someone were to sign up through one of my articles, so hopefully they'll um read the article and then um if you subscribe from that page then I, I do get a little cut. It's not uh it's not my main source of income. <laughs>
1: No, no, I wouldn't think it would be, but hey, you know what, you you do good work, you deserve a little bit of a bump if you can get it. So um, how long have you been playing regular fantasy football, and when did you kind of discover this whole community on Twitter and take everything to the next level?
0: Yeah, so I've been playing fantasy football since I think about 2003, um, which I guess is, is a while ago now. Um And, you know, that was just a league I started with my high school buddies. And, um, you know, I played pretty casually for the next, uh, you know, five or six years and then uh, dove into it a little more, um, played more leagues, um, you know, put a little bit of money on the line. I've never really played high stakes. But um, the – and then about three years ago was when – I really got into, uh, you know, I I started talking to people a lot more on Twitter about it, which um, led me to the MFL 10s, which I, you know, I hadn't heard of until about three years ago, I didn't know anything about best ball either. And that's, um, I really sort of dove into it at that point. Um, It was just very interesting. I liked that not many people really knew what worked uh, really well, you know. It was it was um, uncharted territory for a lot of people, and uh, you know that got me really interested in sort of you know, figuring out how to beat the game. Yep,
1: absolutely. So, how do you think your approach is similar or different to some who are also heavily numbers based with their analytical, analytical studying, and how does that tend to affect your approach to MFL 10?
0: Well, I think one thing I do that's a um, it's a little different from more of the data intensive people is um, I'm not projecting points or, or projecting players and uh, you know, making uh, rankings from complicated models or anything like that. Um, I, I honestly don't even have my own player rankings. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at ADP. I'm looking at, you know, some of the um, to the best writers out there. I look at their rankings so the people do have those models but where my, you know, analytics and, and numbers stuff comes in is in the really in the roster construction, in the in finding the pockets of value in ADP, um, treating it more like a market, um, you know, looking at rising and falling values of players rather than trying to figure out you know who's number five versus number ten and so on.
1: Okay, that's cool. Um, all right, I'm sorry, I got a little distracted. Uh, I was actually sending you a little note. Um, I, I, and, and that approach is similar to mine in a sense. I don't know that I'm as analytical about it as you are, but there's definitely trends that you notice when you start doing these drafts. You go in with certain assumptions and then what ends up happening is you see what the ADP is doing and what's going on in drafts, and if you're a smart person, you adjust to that. And that – I heard you mention something similar to that in in a pod that I heard you do recently, and that's what spurred me to want to kind of go into this a little deeper. So, um, you know – but everyone knows you for hyperfragility, which you came up with last season, which quickly gained a lot of positive feedback from a lot of smart people in the industry. Can you explain to the audience what hyperfragility is, how you came up with it, and how your win rate last year was using hyperfragility versus the rest of your MFL 10s?
0: Sure. Um... I'll, I'll try not to go uh, into too much detail because it'll get boring. But um, the idea with hyper fragility was that um, last year, after a disastrous year um, in 2015 for all the best running backs, um, seemed across the board, people were shying away from running back early in drafts. Um, it was happening all summer. Um, it looked like, uh, you know, for the first time to me, uh, you could get three of the top 12 or 15 running backs um, in the first three rounds, whereas in the past, you know, at most you could get two of them. They were they were just flying off the board, um, and I wanted to take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, so the idea of hyper fragility was to, to get three of those running backs and then not take any more after that. Um, and because they were three guys from the early rounds who were supposed to be very good if they didn't get injured, uh, you'd score enough points just from those three and you could build up the rest of your roster with a lot of wide receivers. And, um, you know, and if the team, not the team, if the running back stayed healthy, uh, even just two out of three of them, you had a very good shot of winning your league. Um, and that's where the hyper fragility part, uh, or the fragility part comes in. Um, if you did lose two of your running backs, which happened on several teams, you were done. Uh, so it was sort of a, a swing for the fences kind of strategy. Um,
1: it, it's in, it's interesting because, you know, when I first heard about hyperfragility, it it, it gave me like hives all up and down my arms, <laughs> right? You know, the thought of only having three running backs. But the more I thought about it, uh, I, I kind of warmed to the idea, even though I didn't do it, Uh, And what I liked most about it was it was taking advantage about what the market was showing you at the time.
0: Right. And, you know, I, when I started doing the work um, that led to hyperfragility, I wasn't expecting to come out the other side with that conclusion. I, I, you know, being a writer for Rotoviz, I very much bought into, you know, the zero RB idea, um, you know, and... I didn't expect to say, yeah, you got to get running backs early. Running backs are the most important. Um, It's just what came out because of what everyone else was doing. And that's, um, you know, I alluded to that earlier with, uh, you know, my focus being on ADP and, you know, sort of the structure of the draft as opposed to, you know, player projections and point projections. I'm going to adjust based on what everyone else is doing.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. I did a lot of that myself last year. I noticed that when I would get to the eighth or now, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth round, if I was, you know, I had adjusted and I was doing more wide receiver early, and I, I just noticed that there were weren't guys that I wanted to take at running back in those rounds, and so I ended up doing more of a balanced approach last year. How did your hyper-fragile lineups do versus the rest of your MFL 10s,
0: percentage-wise?
1: Was it a better percentage, the same, or a little bit worse?
0: It was slightly better. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't have a great year last year in general. Um, My return on investment was uh, down about 20%. But um, the hyper-fragile lineups, which were you know, a a small percentage of my, my total portfolio, because I didn't finish the work until about August, um, we're about break even. And that, that was only, uh, I think it was 10 or 11 drafts that were really hyper fragile. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, I had a first place and made a couple of second places there. And, um, you know, so it wasn't, It wasn't a home run for me, um, but I heard of success from several other people who gave it a try themselves. Um, And also, looking at the uh, success rates of all teams last year, uh, I found that teams with only three running backs actually had the highest win rate um, of all the, you know, sort of possible roster construction. So that was pretty cool to see. I mean, that supported, um, supported my idea.
1: Yep. Well, and and again, you know, sometimes the theory can be right and the results be wrong, Um, you know, based on, you know, football with its injuries. That can happen, you know, pretty easily. So, um, you know, I love hyper fragility, the thought process behind it, and more importantly, why you did it. But now it's 2017. You have a reputation of being Mr. Hyperfragile. What are your thoughts on using that? theory again this year um i know a lot of the zero running back guys feel like zero rb's the way to go no matter what what's your thoughts when it comes to hyper fragility
0: so i think um i I really have to wait until i see where the market sort of settles the year before i can decide that you know it's like the way to go or not um because uh as i mentioned before i mean coming up with the idea was very much driven by the market. Um, It, it, you know, I was led to that conclusion, but I have found in the earlier drafts uh, this year, if you have an early pick, um, you know, one of the three or four or five, and you get one of those top three running backs, um, it, it's very much in play. Um, You can definitely, you know, if you start with a Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson and then get, Two running backs at the um, second round third round turn, you can go this route. Um, you have three very strong guys um, so you know i've actually I've given it a try in a couple of my drafts so far I've only done um, eleven of them, but uh, you know I'd say i can't I can't tell you it's the way to go this year, but i I wouldn't rule it out either
1: you know it's funny they've only been open a week and a half. And both of us are like, yeah, I've only done 11, and I've only done – it it just goes to show the level of intensity that we and some other people put into these things so early in the season. Um, With a year behind you on hyperfragility as far as your thought process, have you thought about maybe being a little less hyperfragile and adding a fourth running back? And if not, what's the downside of adding a fourth-round running back? I mean, a fourth running back.
0: Um, Yeah, I got asked that a lot last year. Uh, You know, people would say, "Well, you know, what's the harm in grabbing some insurance in the you know the fifteenth round or something instead of that ninth wide receiver?" Um, And I think, you know, it doesn't really work for me because generally speaking if one of those top three guys that you got goes down and you or or two of them go down and you need that fourth running back then you're probably not going to win anyway um and the idea was with that ninth wide receiver or that third quarterback that you're taking in the later rounds instead of a fourth running back you know you were building up this this um sort of baseline, um, you know, a higher average outcome for the rest of your positions, even if you didn't get them all exactly right. Uh, And then your running backs could do the heavy lifting on top of that. Um, And I think you, it just, the opportunity cost um, wasn't justified.
1: Yeah. You know, that, that actually makes a lot of sense to me and, you know, either you're doing it or you're not. Um, the other, right. you, you know, because the whole point behind hyperfragility is if those three guys stay healthy and kill it in, you know, two out of ten leagues, you know, you're going to win. Because the thing about MFL 10s historically, unlike some other ways of playing fantasy football, is you're really going to try and win. And as nice as it is to look and see that you're in third place or fourth place with a couple weeks to go, Really, it it comes down to winning these things.
0: Absolutely, and you know when I I wrote the article on hyper fragility, um, my conclusion at the end was you know a twenty percent win rate was attainable, um, and you know that is a great result. It's doubling your money in MFL tens, a hundred percent return. But you know I was I was really excited about a strategy that only wins two out of ten times. Um, and, you know, you kind of have to accept that when you go into one of these drafts. You know, it, there are 11 other teams. They're, all, they're, they're probably pretty smart uh, people, and there's a good chance you won't win. And you're just trying to employ a strategy that overall is, uh, is going to get you there.
1: Yep, I I, I think uh, that that's a, a very good point. Last question on hyper fragility, and I'm glad we got a little deeper into it than I thought we would. But it's it, it is kind of your uh, what you're known for. Last question I have on it is, let's say you want to go hyper fragile, and you, you you get the the running back you like in the first round, in the second and third round. How much value are you willing or not willing to give up to take a running back? Meaning, you know, there's three kind of scenarios you run into. There's one where, you know, your running back would have been your guy anyway. There's a scenario where they're about to even, give or take a little bit. But sometimes, you know, the running back is going to be a little, you know, a, a, not significantly because they're all second round picks or third but there's a drop-off in talent from a wide receiver or even a tight end. How much value are you willing or unwilling to um, forsake to 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 do hyper fragility?
0: Um, I'd say almost none. Uh, you know, in that case, if the, a wide receiver looks like the better pick in the second round. I'm going to take a wide receiver and then, um, you know, I won't do the hyper fragile rust or construction in that draft. Um, and, and sort of the nice thing about, um, you know, doing a lot of these is I know that I I could do it next time or, you know, the time after that. And I want to get the best players at the best costs um, sort of across my portfolio. Um, I, I would say, you know, I might give up a, you know a small amount value or I might break a tie towards the running back um, if I know that there's going to be another good running back available the next round say we're at the end of the second round and you know there are three guys I like so I'm pretty sure I'll get a second or a third good running back around the turn then I might um, break the tie that way knowing that I could go hyper fragile after that.
1: Yep, and I, I, I'm I'm really glad I asked that question that way because um, I think that's really important for people out there listening. If you're thinking for using hyperfragile, you, you just don't throw value out the window to do uh, any system is my thought. I know that some of the zero RB guys disagree with that, which I respect, but uh, I'm glad that you answered it that way so that the people who listen understand when – the guy who invented it, so to speak, uses or won't use the hyper fragile. So moving on, um, what are some of the key lessons you learned overall in doing a bunch of MFL10s, and how are you adjusting your thought processes, and how are you tackling MFL10s out of the gate this year?
0: Uh, yeah, so I mentioned that last year was um, – you know, it wasn't the best year for me in terms of my results. And, you know, one of the things that really drove that um, and was a big takeaway for me is that I had a pretty substantial exposure to Jamal Charles last year, who was generally going in the second round. Um, I've always liked him a lot. I believe in his talent. And, uh, you know, I thought a recovery from his injury was, um, was likely. Um, and I thought he'd pay off the, the price so I kept, you know, I kept buying him, um, and I'd even sort of given myself um, or told myself, you know, I didn't want to be too concentrated in anyone who was very expensive at the top of the draft. Um, and I broke my own rule, uh, so I'm I'm not going to do that this year. And the, the idea is those expensive guys, um, you know, they they're higher risk. I put 30% of my, you know, quote-unquote portfolio on Jamal Charles, and um, that's just too much for an early-round guy. I mean, that's fine for somebody in the double-digit rounds, but, um, you know, those are the guys that kill you. I mean, if if one of your first picks goes down, it really is hard to recover. Um, And we know every year uh, some of those high-round picks – are going to go down. So you want to have, you want to be sort of spread out across them.
1: Yeah. Especially since he was coming off an injury, I avoided all the, and I talked about this last week. I, I don't have a problem taking an injured guy, but I want, I want the risk baked in. Right. And in general, Mm -hmm. a general rule for me is about a two round discount. Right. So if Jamal Charles, I think last year, healthy would have been a late first round pick. You know, I don't want to take a lot of him until mid mid third round, and then in general, one of my rules is the first two rounds, I really don't want to go above twenty percent. I, I had a couple guys, I, like I had Lamar Miller last year, pushing twenty um, five percent, because I really liked him and it just worked out that way. But in general, I think you made an excellent point, which is that. Rarely do you win a a draft in the first two rounds, but you can lose them in the first two rounds, whether by injury or something else. And it just doesn't pay to have all your eggs in one basket. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Yep. I do agree. And, um, yep, I paid for it last year. It, it's definitely the, the risk and reward is skewed in the wrong direction. I think, I mean, you know, they're all good players up in the first two rounds and, um, you know, you're better off just getting exposure to each of them.
1: Yeah, well, look, we all live and learn. <clears throat> I know I continue <laughs> to learn every day, and I certainly made my fair share of mistakes last year. It happens. But the MFL 10 season is now underway, and we have some ADP data to go on. Can you share some general early takes on things you're seeing in the marketplace?
0: Sure. Um you know, I've mentioned I've done uh, 11 or I, some of them are still in, in progress, but looking at ADP and my own drafts, um, one thing is pretty clear that the top running backs are going earlier um, in general. I mean, certainly the first three, I have the um, top three spots in ADP right now, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell and Zeke. Um, but even after that, uh, you know, you've got a handful of running backs like um, Devonta, Melvin Corden, who are going earlier than they would have last year when people were really favoring wide receivers. Um, so that that's that's been a bit of an adjustment. Um, you know, I've had to account for that uh, when planning the rest of the draft. And another thing I've noticed is um, in the later rounds, quarterbacks and tight ends seem to be going a little bit quicker, um, not not at the very beginning. So, um, you know, the first quarterback off the board is not early, but by the time we get to the 14th round where last year I'd be happy taking my third quarterback, say, um, or even second quarterback, sometimes, you know, it's really dried up. Um, you know, if we take a look at who's available there now, um, we've got guys like, um, you know, Carson Wentz, Ryan Tannehill, um, and then, you know, Alex Smith, that I'm just not very excited about uh, drafting. And I, whereas last year, I think, we, you know, there were some guys with more upside. Um, likewise, at tight end, it, it's causing me to adjust where I take these players.
1: Yeah, I, I'm noticing exactly the same thing. And early on, without ADP to guide us, um, it's kind of hard to chart a course. And I feel like I end up at these cliffs. Right. And then you look down right. and there's no safe place to jump. And you're like, oh, man. But uh, so what I think we'll do is we'll go through some of the peaks and valleys that I've noticed and kind of get your opinion on each one. Well, probably, for me, the biggest peak in valley is in round one where there's seven or eight guys who i don't mind taking it all for me it's eight i don't mind uh any of the three running backs or the top five wide receivers but once you get to the uh end of the eighth pick, it really really is it's like a huge drop off um how, have you gotten any of the drafts in that nine to twelve range, and you have a couple targets or a couple of thoughts on how to deal with
0: that uh ledge? yeah, so i I've noticed exactly what you have um you know, I'm happy to take uh, mike Evans and a j green after the sort of the big three running backs and big three wide receivers, but uh, I've been trying to just spread it out. Um, if I have the, one of those last three picks, uh, you know, more recently, I think, um, oh, was it, I think Melvin Gordon, um, I'm probably going to bump up a little bit in the first round. I might make him, you know, my, that number nine guy, um, because of, um, Woodhead going over to Baltimore. I I think he's just got a more solidified role but um otherwise I'm I'm mostly picking wide receivers there. Uh I LeSean McCoy feels like a little bit of a reach. Um and I'm just spreading it around between those guys in the you know the wide receiver 6 to 9 range. Um not trying to go overboard on anybody.
1: Yeah, I I think you're kind of saying what I'm saying. I'm not a big Melvin Gordon guy because he just isn't that great of a running back. And so much of his scoring was on runs inside the red zone. I mean, he had numbers that, you know, dwarfed everyone else. And if you listen to TJ Hernandez, like I do, TDs tend to regress. So he makes me nervous. Devonta makes me nervous because Tevin Coleman is there still. And I think it's very possible that that offense – it's just rare. I mean, we saw it with Carolina the year before. You have an offense that's going great guns, and it, it's just not a guarantee that it happens again. So if that offense regresses a little and you've got Coleman there, I don't like that. So I love what you're saying about the wide receivers and splitting it up. I think that's a really good idea. The next kind of valley, is it's pretty unfortunate because, um, if you are drafting late in the first, it means you're drafting late in the third. And, again, it seems like running back thins dramatically. And some drafts there's a guy or two you don't mind taking. And sometimes, it's again, it's just not very good drafting, I'm finding, at the end of the third. Are you seeing the same thing?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, end of the third is – I feel like I'm going to end up with a lot of CJ Anderson on my teams uh, when I'm when I'm drafting in the one of those late picks, and then yeah, early fourth is where I get uncomfortable. Um, He's sort of like the the last of the group of guys that I kind of like. You know, then we get into the territory of you know Spencer Ware, Tevin Coleman, Rawls, Derek Henry. um, You know, these are guys
1: who. Hold on, I got to go throw up. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm, 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 I'm back <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't even I done going through the list Yeah um, Well, and even C.J. Anderson I mean, I got busted on him two years in a row so, And Booker's still there And their offensive line uh, I mean, I, I don't have any C.J. Anderson shares yet I've taken some Spencer Ware But I, I believe you feel like there's some risk there as well
0: yeah, I just I'm not sure what they're gonna do with the draft or, you know, whether he's really the guy there, you know, and um you know it certainly helps that uh Charles is, is officially gone, but um you know, all the guys in that little group in the fourth and fifth rounds of ADP, um, you know, they're just question marks. Or they're not even the, the number one guy on their team like Derrick Henry or or Tevin Coleman. You know, there's upside there. But it's not really the kind of investment I want to make in that round. One guy who's creeping up for me, at least, is um, Isaiah Crowell on um, on Cleveland. You know, he I wasn't drafting him at first; his price tag seemed too high. But um, you know, they seem to be you know making some changes to their offensive line, and he's actually you know he Duke Johnson's there, but he's there early down running back, and I start, I feel more comfortable about his his role in that offense than I do about other guys who are going in that, in that range. And
1: and I think that that's a very reasonable spot. And he's, you know, again, it's like, I've taken him once out of eight and I, and then, you know, it's just what you just described. It's like, did I just really draft Isaiah Crowell in the, in the, in the early to mid fourth round? But right. he, out of all those guys, he seems to have a role that's defined. And with them improving their offensive line, and I think overall they're going to be a better team uh, with all the picks they've got um, on the table. He's the one guy that uh, I, 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 like I can't draft Derrick Henry with Murray there. I just can't. I can't. You know, Rawls. Right. You got all, all the. You know, we won't go through it again, but. The, you know, the one guy that's kind of interesting to me is Joe Mixon a little later. You know, I've been getting him in the mid-fifth. You know, I think once I get to the mid-fifth, um, end of the fifth round, I, I feel pretty good about his talent. And, you know, I'm not going to go crazy there, but he's the type of guy I think who could really give you a nice bump.
0: Yeah, and I think um at least for now his his price is in a pretty good range. Uh, though I I want to point out that my real answer um to those rounds is I'm probably just not taking running backs there. Um you know, I'll I'll look at the wide receivers who are coming off the board, you know, in the in the fourth round, there's some guys I really like um you know like Michael Crabtree or um you know, Stephon Diggs, um, Golden Tate, some guys like that who I'd just much rather have than one of those uh, high-risk running backs.
1: Yeah, I, 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 couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree more, and it's all the more reason to me that I want to get – you know, I want to get – I almost don't want to play MFL 10s on the chance that I'm going to get a late pick because I feel like, y- <laughs> y- you know – it's hard enough to beat 11, you know, 10, 11 other guys and to have to do it with dips in the first and the third is I feel like you're starting with one hand tied behind your back. But um, I'm doing the same thing. I, I've, I've had at least one draft where I went four wide receivers, and I do think there's some pockets of value for running back in the 10th through the 13th round. Are you finding any guys there that you like as well?
0: Um. There are, you know, I don't, I don't really have any favorites yet, but um, there's certainly a few guys um, I've, I've gotten a few shares of. I, I'm not even sure where Woodhead is going right now, but I, I think I'm going to start buying him up. He's probably a little earlier than that. Um, and then uh, at 119, 119. Right. Yeah. So that, you know, that's sort of the range you're talking about. Um, and then a little later, you know, I'm I, I'm really not finding many guys I love. You know, there's there's nobody I'm just really snapping no, there's up. No,
1: there's there's no, there's no love. Uh, there's no marriage, but uh, you know, there might be a couple one night stand guys. I'll throw out a couple <laughs> names of guys that um, I don't hate. I think Theo Riddick, his role should be secure. You can get him, you know, sixth to eighth round. Bilal Powell's another guy who I don't mind taking Legarett Blunt I've taken once or twice and Matt Forte I mean Matt Forte you know 11th 12th 13th round I've seen Matt Forte and yeah it's a, it's a risky pick but if you need a running back that's a guy that I I don't mind taking some of Uh
0: yeah actually what I've done on generally I don't like handcuffing running backs at all um, in these drafts uh, or in general, but I've actually on a couple of teams, I think gone with both Powell and Forte and um, the reason being that Forte is just so cheap, Um, you know, for, for a guy who potentially be, uh, you know, the lead back on that team and actually produce several, uh, you know, RB one weeks, um, you know, if you have Powell with him, Powell's going to get points even if Forte doesn't go down. In my opinion, um, you know, you've got, you've sort of built almost an RB one between the two of them. Um, so that's the one, um, that's the one exception I've been making in terms of handcuffing and backup kind of guys.
1: Yeah, I like it. I think that's a good idea. So, okay, you earlier you mentioned the. Um... The quarterback and tight end dilemma, that's exactly what I'm finding. Again, it's not like the earlier Cliffs, but, you know, how has that changed the fact that once you get to, like, round 12, 13, 14, you're not seeing the quarterbacks and
0: tight ends
1: that you have in the past? How has that affected your overall draft strategy?
0: Yeah, so it sort of caught me off guard when I, um, you know, one of my early drafts, I got to the 14th round and made Alex Smith my second quarterback. You know, I've been planning to take three, um, and he, I realized he was the only one I was really comfortable with left, um, and I ended up going with only two. Uh, so I've had to adjust. I mean, I, I'm taking – last year I like to take three later quarterbacks, you know, sort of rounds 13, 14, 15, or 12, 13, 14. And at least early on here, um, I'm going with one of the earlier guys. Like um, I love Cam Newton when he falls, you know, eighth or ninth round Um, guys like breeze. um, I'm not reaching for Rogers. Um, I usually won't take one of the first two quarterbacks um, off the board, but I want to get one of those sort of, Single-digit round guys, and then maybe only one guy from rounds 11 or 12, because I just know there's I'm I'm not finding the kind of guys I like later, uh, which is a, definitely an adjustment from last year, where you know I would be happy to go into a draft you know planning to take Mariota, Dalton, and Matt Ryan, right? And they were all sort of you know, later not super late, but, um, you know, and they're in the teens. and It's just not there this year, and you really have to you, – you can't bank on it being there for you.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, you nailed, again, uh, you know, great minds. <laughs> um, but um, I, I, I own – I normally don't own, you know, more than 30 35% of anybody, but I'll take pretty much as much Cam Newton as you want to give me in the eighth round a guy who scored 400 points the the year before and everything went right for that team that year and everything seemed to go wrong last year. I think it's pretty safe to say that I I think that he's going to not be as bad as he was last year and not as good as he was the year before, but there's a lot of room for growth there. Um, And the other thing that I'm doing is, I'm not finding a lot of wide receivers or running backs I love in, in the, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth round and tenth. I'm, I'm I'm walking out of there with you know Cam a lot of drafts and then two tight ends. I'll take like Ertz and then follow that up. Kyle Rudolph's available a lot of times, late ninth or early tenth, and then I've kind of now I, I don't feel like I can take two quarterbacks and two tight ends early. But I feel like I've got one really good quarterback, two tight ends uh, I don't need to worry about tight end again. Uh, And and then I can just, you know, mix up my mediocre quarterbacks a little bit later. Um, Or I'll take two quarterbacks, 10th and 11th, like the Mariota
0: types. Uh,
1: What are your thoughts on that and, you know, any favorite tight ends that you have?
0: uh yeah so i'm going back to uh delaney walker again um i like his price Um i've been getting him i i think so it's around the seventh round is around the area you were saying um, i've taken him
1: once or twice
0: yeah so he's he's a favorite of mine i think he just he gets enough volume um and you know it, you can pair him with somebody else just to get, um, you know, a couple of rounds later, three rounds later, and you'll have enough upside there. Um, uh, I do like some of the wide receivers in that range. Um, one guy I've mentioned on, on other podcasts, Deshaun Jackson is an early seventh round kind of guy. Um, he's probably going to creep up a little bit, but, uh, Cam Meredith is in that range. And then uh, one guy I almost don't even want to talk about because I love his price so much is um, Jeremy Macklin in the, you know, the eighth and ninth rounds. Uh, I think he's just getting completely overlooked. Um, You know, Tyree kills taking a lot of the, the luster off of him maybe, but um, you know, Macklin was hurt last year and he, he really, um, he's not the the best player in the world, but uh, ninth round he's a, he's, Severely undervalued, I think. Um, a couple other guys I like, um, Kenny Britt. Um, you know, I don't, I don't love his landing spot in Cleveland, but uh, again, you know, eighth, ninth round, that seems like the right price for me. Um, also, Adam Thielen. I've noticed I've been taking a lot in that range.
1: Well, I, I definitely end up with a, a wide receiver or two in the range. I probably misspoke a little bit, um, you know, because you're talking seven, eight, nine, ten, four rounds. Um, and, and you named some of the guys that I like as well. Obviously, Deshaun Jackson is like Mr. Best Ball for all the reasons you mentioned in your last pod. Um, one other or two other names I'll throw out there is Rashard Matthews. I, I really feel like he took a step forward and that he has something going with Mariota. Uh, an ADP right now of about 85. He's the guy I like right there with Cam Meredith. And uh, Willie Sneed is another one um, who also I like a lot. So once you do get past that Kenny Britt, um, that's when that thins out a little bit. You know, guys like John Brown. I like John Brown. I think he's going to bounce back. But, you know, with concussions, ninth round, um, Brashad Perriman is there, um, who I think actually has a chance to be good. But then there's, you know, then there's there's a little bit of a drop-off there. But, uh, yeah, you named some really good guys. I'm glad you did that. Um, and And that leads me to a bigger overall question, because we've talked about tight end strategy and quarterback strategy and running back strategy. With so many peaks and valleys at the other positions, how has this affected your overall wide receiver strategy?
0: Yeah, so... It's basically, I am I tend to just fill in the gaps at wide receiver, right? So, um, like you said, we've identified some of these cliffs at other positions, and there are definitely some drop-offs at wide receiver, but it tends to be more level, I think, um, in terms of, you know, there's the big three guys at the very beginning, but then it sort of trails off relatively evenly as you go deeper into the draft. Um, I don't see as many tiers, so what I want to do is I want to hit the right um, tier breaks at the other positions where, you know, we've identified, um, you know, running backs in the first few rounds, um, you know, tight ends um, and quarterbacks before that late um, or early teens uh, sort of drop off. That means I'm filling in those, the gaps with wide receivers. So I'm taking a lot of them in between rounds four and eight um, and i'm I'm taking a lot of the later wide receivers um you know in the in the teams before i take my defenses at the end so it's it's really driven by what's going on at those other positions
1: uh and and that's exactly what i'm finding um again i remember and i don't remember if it was you or the person you were potting with talked about um how hard it is to hit on late running backs. Versus late wide receivers, I'm finding a lot of guys that that I can choose from in you know starting in the tenth eleventh round, in those areas where the quarterbacks and the tight ends there's no one I really love. I am finding wide receivers that I feel pretty good about, guys like Will Fuller. I'll throw out – I mean, I I think I have him in almost every draft so far. Pierre Garçon has uh, an ADP of 148, and that was pretty much driven because people didn't know where he was going to end up. I expect his uh, ADP to start rising. Marquise Lee, um, even Tavon Austin, but another guy that I – two guys who are, you know, true number two receivers – Alan Hearns at a 17180 p Mohamed Sanu at 182. Any thoughts on those guys, and are there anyone that you think I missed in that area that are uh, kind of interesting?
0: Um, yeah, so I, I like Sanu, I think. Um, I mean, it's really the price. He's, he's very, very cheap. Um, and I don't think, you know, their offense is going in, you know, into the dumpster there. I agree with you. There will probably be some regression because they were just so good last year, but um, I've got a few shares of him. I like uh, Tavon Austin uh, late, you know, I'm getting him, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17th round. Sometimes I see him, Uh, you know, he's, he's not my favorite guy, but he, he, with the gadget plays that he does and he's on the field a lot, he'll have, uh, you know, the occasional big week. And that's really all I'm looking for, uh, you know, that late in the draft. So he he's a guy I've had my eye on. Um, I agreed with, uh, yeah, I definitely agreed with you on some of those names. Um, he's, I think he's been creeping up, but still, you know, sort of 12th, 13th round range. I like Mike Wallace. Um, and you know, he's still, I don't, I don't that's think people realize it. He's still the, you know, he's still the wide receiver one there. Um, so I'm not sure that that's really getting appreciated. Um, in terms of Hearns, I'm I'm not big on Hearns uh, because I mean you also mentioned Marquise Lee. I I think it's you know they're not a great offense. Uh, Bortles not obviously is not very good, and and it's a little too crowded for me I think to be buying Hearns.
1: Okay, fair enough. Um, has the opening of free agency cleared up much for you? I know I was expecting a little bit more information. I still have almost as many questions as I did going in, and it's mainly because we really haven't seen a lot of the running backs on the market uh, sign yet.
0: Yeah, it really um, still so many question marks at running back. Uh, The one thing I mentioned was, knowing for sure that Woodhead would not be in San Diego, um, you know, has me bumping Melvin Gordon up a little bit, but, you know, we're still waiting on Jamal Charles, Adrian Peterson, um, and then, you know, a a host of other guys that uh, we just, especially without the draft having happened, we don't know what's going to be going on in their backfields. And I'm mostly just staying away from it. Um, I've been thinking I, I need to get some of uh, some Charles and Peterson exposure before they sign somewhere. Cause will almost surely go up in ADP. But um, you know, it, it, like you said, it really hasn't cleared much up for me.
1: Um, I, uh, I definitely have some Peterson chairs. I feel like, you know, boy, I would love for him to end up in Seattle Or uh, anywhere where they're at least going to put a quarterback behind center and give them the ball behind a fullback. Um, You know, teams that are used to running power. I think that, um, I still think, you know, if, I'm not saying this the way I want to, if anyone on the Vikings had run good last year, I wouldn't be high on Peterson. But no one ran good on that team. The offensive line, I think, was to blame. He didn't play much before he got hurt. Um, So I like that call out, especially when I start with um, and I come out of the first five, six rounds with not enough, you know, running backs that I want. Um, Last subject as it relates to this year in the draft, how much time do you spend at this point studying rookies and what are your thoughts on the rookies this year?
0: uh well my answer to the first part is almost no time um studying the rookies uh, which you know that also answers the second question that I don't have a whole lot of thoughts about them um the I've noticed they you know they tend to go up in in ADP a little bit um after the draft so I, I'm trying to get a little bit of exposure to them in these drafts but I don't have any, any really favorite guys. Um, and I'm, I've been avoiding, you know, the first couple of running backs, um, mostly I that would be cook and, um, uh, McCaffrey so far in these drafts. I, I think they a little over and Fournette, Yes. Um, I think they're going a little too early because of, you know, sort of Zeke fever, um, uh, you know, carrying over from last year, I, it's going to take a, a perfect landing spot for them and a perfect season for them to pay off their prices and i I'm, I'm just going to sit back and wait and see on those um you know if i miss out on them it's i think it's okay i i can put together enough good teams anyway so um i'm i'm not a, i'm just not a college tape guy or anything like that so i pick my spots
1: yeah i have a little bit of of uh cook And uh, I think one McCaffrey, and like I mentioned, Mixon, you know, and again, I'm a value guy. And when I I hear, you know, people worried that he might not make it in the league, they didn't invite him to the combine, you know, again, I'm not going to go crazy, but the fifth, sixth round for a guy like that, that if he didn't have that incident, he'd probably be the number one running back on a lot of guys' boards. I, I, I think that uh, that's a chance I'm willing to take. And um, in general, I, I, I agree with most of your thoughts on rookies. It's it's not my strength. And I, 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 I think that with the rookie last year having such a good year, I do think it's a little bit of a fever, as you mentioned. So, What's next for Mike Beers? Um, You know, obviously you kind of had a big hit last year with hyperfragility. Is there anything that you're working on that you could kind of give us a hint about uh, that you might uh, unleash on an unwary public for 2017?
0: (laughs) Um, Well, I I don't think there's anything too exciting yet, uh, but what I've been working on recently is – uh, trying to quantify something I mentioned on a, a podcast, a couple of podcasts um, earlier this year, um, the idea of draft capital, um, you know, so sort of how much you've invested in a position throughout the draft, um, you know, the idea being earlier picks, you know, first round pick is worth, you know, so much draft capital and a fifth round pick is worth less and so on. Um, and trying and looking at roster optimization from that angle, instead of just the number of running backs or the number of wide receivers, because, you know, a couple of years ago when I, I first got into this, um, you know, I saw, um, I saw things looking at what was the best uh, roster construction the previous year and, or simulations that came out saying, this is the way to build a roster and, um, I, I just asked the question to people, you know, well what if I start with three wide receivers? Is that still the best option? Uh or what if I start with three running backs? And nobody really had the answer. Um so I'm trying to to put some numbers to that and hopefully uh hopefully something interesting will come out of it.
1: Yeah, that that does sound very interesting. I I wish you the best with that with your MFL 10s. Um, and I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, huh. I've actually got two people who look like they called in. Hold on a second. <laughs> hello? Oh, hello? Hello? Who's this? Hello. This is Ken Kniff from Connecticut. Yes. I'm calling about. Hi, Ken. Oh, hi, Mike. I, I, this, hey, hey, Ken, hey, Ken, yes. this is the first. I've never had anyone come into the show. I didn't even notice you were there. And I got one other guy on. Hold on. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going we're gonna to have some fun with this and walk out. Let's see who else is on the line. Hello? Hello. Wh- who's this? Hello, this is Aaron H. Oh, hey, how you doing? Good. I had a question for Mr. Beers. Okay, uh, well, we're going to let Ken throw his question out, and then we're going to let you throw yours out. Ken, give it a shot. Sounds great. Oh, uh, I
0: was wondering if your medical charts, on charts, on charts, came back clean?
1: Can I answer that, Mike? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, the answer is, of course, he's 31 years old, and <clears throat> um, he, he's a, he's actually tracking... How many penile injections you're going to need? Oh, at least three. I would say at least three. And in fact, hold on. I've always wanted to do this to a caller. I hope you don't mind. All right. So Ken's gone, and um, next up is uh, what? What did you say your name was again? I'm sorry. Something H. My name is Aaron H. Yeah, hey, how you doing? You tweeted at us, too. Uh, Go ahead, ask your question. Yeah, I have a question for Mr. Beers. Uh, I just noticed lately a couple drafts you were doing weren't drafting any defenses. I was just wondering if you uh, picked that up from me or uh, if that's the new thing this year or something. (laughs) I told you you weren't going to live that down, Mike
0: yeah you know it's a it's a fair question um and it's what happens when you uh when you oversleep and um and then oversleep again and then oversleep again but you know it could work um you know joe Pano, who's um one of the guys i i follow on twitter won with one defense in a in a listener league last year so i'm i'm just trying to take it a step further
1: uh yeah do you have another question for mike
0: I was just it can wondering be it can if, be an uh, it
1: can, it it can be another funny one go for it. I don't really have anything too funny. I was just wondering uh how long is it usually how many hours a day do you spend plugging shit into your laptop
0: uh it's actually pretty quick to plug all the the cords in um you know there's only there's the mouse and and there's the charger so yeah you know, it's pretty quick. <laughs>
1: Uh, but he does ask a good question. How many how many hours a day about do you spend on this kind of thing?
0: Uh, it depends on the day, um, but you know, not not more than a couple hours. Um, unless I'm really you're digging into a project, then I might spend you know three or four hours um, looking at it. Uh, in terms of making picks and doing drafts, though, that's all very quick. I do it from my phone. Um, you know, I, I, I get the text notifications, and um, I'll just pop the, the pick in pretty quickly.
1: So, Alan, do you do a lot of MFL 10s yourself? Aaron. Aaron, Aaron sorry. Yeah, probably about uh, 60 or 70. That's a pretty good amount. Well, uh, you, know, fo- you know, you can uh, definitely follow up with Mike some more on Twitter. I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much for your call. Thank you. Well, Mike, that was (laughs) kind (laughs) of interesting. You guys who called in wanting to give you crap. But, uh, hey, we we handled it, and uh, hopefully we weren't too rough on Kenny. Kenny's a friend of yours, I assume.
0: Uh, Well, we've never met, um, but I I did recognize the name.
1: Gotcha. Do you think I blew him up appropriately?
0: (laughs) I think we did all right. All right, good.
1: Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Anytime you want to come back, just let me know. Any final thoughts before uh I we head out with the song?
0: Uh no, I just want to say thank you for having me. This is, you know, this has been fun. I love talking MFL 10s and, and football in general. So, you know, anybody listening, um hit me up on Twitter. Uh, it's again Beerswater. Um and, yeah, I, I had a great time. Thank you. Good um, luck to everybody. Um,
1: yep, and, I, and I, I did as well. Thanks to everyone who listened. You know, fantasy is important, but we don't want to get lost in a world of fantasy. But I'm going to help you get lost in a world of fantasy from Triumph back in the 80s, some more Old Guy Rock. Thanks for listening. Have a nice night.